Welcome to So Dead, a podcast so disturbing it's almost magical. I'm Jen Carpenter. And I'm Danny Fairman. Happy True Crime Tuesday. And happy Taco Tuesday, Deadheads. Today's episode is going to be pure magic. <laughs> We're going to talk about the wonderfully weird town of Marshall, Michigan. Um, starting with the thing that got us off our butts and into the car on a recent rainy Sunday, the American Museum of Magic, which is just one of the really cool things you'll find in Marshall. The American Museum of Magic is the largest publicly accessible museum and archive of its kind. No, the wizarding world of Harry Potter at Universal does not count as a magic museum. Um, yes, the, it does. <laughs> it is awesome, but it's not a museum. Um, the museum was opened in April 1978 by magic historian and enthusiast Robert Lund on Michigan Avenue in downtown Marshall, where it still stands today. The museum is open to the public, has weekly magic shows every Saturday, hosts a magic camp for kids every summer, and rents the space to the public, which my wheels are already turning. Like, I've got to do something there. What can we do there? I don't know what. I'll come up with something. Maybe I'll, like, renew my wedding vows there. I don't know. Something. Have a magic show? Yes. Uh, Inside the museum, you'll find so much cool shit. Um, Hands-on activities, vintage posters, real memorabilia, and an entire section dedicated to the magician of all magicians, Harry Houdini. Did you say the magician of all magicians? I did. (laughs) I wondered if you heard it. I was like, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. Keep going. Um, So real quick, uh, I got a lot of this information from HarryHoudiniCircumstantialEvidence.com wildabouthoudini.com, history101.com, americanmuseumofmagic.com, and then lots of old newspaper clippings with no reporters credited as they used to do in old-timey mm-hmm. days. Um, and then, of course, our good friend Wikipedia, which is like kind of reliable, but you definitely got to double-check your info from there. Right. Uh, Harry Houdini was born Eric Wise on March 24th, 1874, in Budapest, Hungary, one of seven children. His family immigrated to America in 1878 and settled in Appleton, Wisconsin. Eric's father was a rabbi, and the family struggled with poverty. They moved around quite a bit. They split up quite a bit. So, Mm -hmm. like, dad would take two of the kids to live in New York, and mom would take three of them to live in Florida. It was real weird. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm not going to kind of trace their steps because it'll get confusing, and it's not really necessary. Sure. They just moved around a lot. Um, They had kind of a transient lifestyle. Eric first became a trapeze artist at the age of nine, and he was known as Eric the Prince of the Air. Stop it. Yeah. So he changed his name to Harry Houdini when he began studying magic as a teen. Harry was believed to be a nickname um, for the name that his family had for him. So his family called him Airy. Apparently, Eric was too long. So they changed (laughs) Eric to Airy. And then he changed Airy to Harry. (laughs) Uh, Houdini came from famed magician Jean-Eugène Robert Houdin. That rhymes, and I love it. Jean-Eugene Robert Houdin. It's like a cartoon character. (laughs) Um, His biography actually served as an inspiration for young Eric, who was now going by Harry. Um, Fun fact, when Harry Houdini got real big for his britches, he actually turned on his mentor um, and wrote a whole book discrediting this man's life work. So 
um, stole his name and then called him a fraud. Whatever. Um, Houdini's career as a magician began at the age of 17. He first focused on card tricks, but that wasn't quite exciting enough for him because, I mean, it's not really exciting. Um, So he moved on to escape acts, which is what he is still known for today. He met and fell in love with a fellow performer, Bess Rayner, while performing at Coney Island in 1893. The two were married in 1894 and began performing as the Houdinis. They performed together for the rest of Harry's long career. Harry began gaining notoriety in 1899 and became... Leave that one in. Just leave it in. You guys, I am not speaking English today. I don't know what to tell you. We have listeners from all over the world, so So it's okay. It's okay. Um, He became known as the Handcuff King. The Handcuff King? (laughs) That sounds dirty. I know, doesn't it? (laughs) Um, He toured the world, challenging the police department in each town he visited to restrain him and lock him up in the local jail. Well, that's why shit wasn't getting solved. Right, because they were busy playing games with the handcuff king. Um, They would strip him nude and search him before they locked him up because they were sure he had tricks literally up his sleeve. So they would strip him down, search him, um, and then put him in a cell. And he, of course, would escape every time. Do you think he had the key like in his butthole or something? (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Don't they search that? You watch movies, right? They they search everything. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The world was fascinated with this handsome, charismatic, mysterious man. And he reveled in the fame and fortune as the highest paid performer in American vaudeville. When too many people began imitating Houdini's handcuff escape antics, he created his milk can escape act, where he would be locked inside a milk can filled with water and have to escape while holding his breath. Failure meant death, as was displayed on promotional posters. When that act got old, he began locking the milk crate inside a padlocked wooden chest, so he would have to escape twice. Right. Um, and then We came, saw all that at the museum, yeah, too. Yeah, they had all of that yeah. stuff there. Um, and they even had a little... Um, display that they had built that was kind of the size and shape of a water crate for you to sit in. I didn't sit in it. I didn't. My fat ass can't fit in there. No. But for a small person, um, it was for you to sit in there and kind of scrunch yourself up. And then it had instructions on imagine what you would then have to do from this position. Our Patreon subscribers will see that. Yes, they sure Mm -hmm. will. We made a little video for you guys. Um, So... After the milk crate with the big chest, um, his next step was the Chinese water torture cell, which is, I think, what we all think of when we think of Houdini. We see him shackled, um, Mm -hmm. hanging upside down inside that glass tank full of water, Mm -hmm. twisting and thrashing around, trying to get out. Um, That was his most famous act. Mm -hmm. Um, But aside from being the world's most infamous escape artist, Houdini was an author, an actor, and a pilot. He was also the original Ghostbuster. In the 1920s, his act became focused on debunking the works of psychics and mediums. He made himself quite a lot of enemies through this line of work. Um, And in fact, many people believed that Houdini himself was a powerful medium who used his paranormal abilities to perform tricks 
And that was the reason he put so much energy into trying to prove it was all nonsense, was to hide the truth. So he was one, and that was what he used to do his stuff. So he wanted to make it seem like that's not a real thing Mm -hmm. so people couldn't figure him out. That's interesting. I don't know if I believe that or not. It's interesting to me that he made so many enemies because there's so many people against that type of well, he made belief it. anyway. But those people are also against magic. You know, they would have yeah. seen magic as witchcraft. So the community he was a part of. Some people got to loosen the fuck up. Man. I think a lot of people need like, to loosen the geez, fuck up. Jesus. <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Um, so whatever his secret was, Houdini led a charmed life until a random string of unfortunate events that sound very much like a page out of my own calamity-filled book (laughs) uh, resulted in his ultimate downfall. So on October 11th, 1926, 52-year-old Harry Houdini was getting ready to perform his Chinese Water Torture Escape Act at a show in Albany, New York, when things went horribly wrong. He was locked into the ankle stocks and... And I just read that as ankle socks and got really confused for a second. I was it's like, not How socks. Does it's that stock. work? He was locked into ankle stocks, and as he was being raised from the stage upside down, the cables loosened and twisted, causing a malfunction that snapped his left ankle. Aye. While broken bones definitely suck, as I can attest to Mm -hmm. with my broken arm over here, um, doctors said that Houdini was actually very lucky. Because if the malfunction had happened three seconds later, it would have severed his foot from his body. But losing that foot could have actually saved Houdini's life Mm. because he wouldn't have been well enough to continue performing, which is exactly what he did. Less than two weeks later, Houdini gave a lecture at McGill University in Montreal, Canada. Following the lecture, he was resting on a couch with his ankle elevated when a student by the name of Gordon Whitehead approached him. He challenged Houdini's frequent claims that his abdomen was so strong that punches to the gut couldn't hurt him. According to witnesses, he asked Houdini if it was true that it wouldn't hurt him if he punched him in the stomach. And then, without warning, he punched Houdini in the abdomen several times. What the hell? What is wrong with people? Due to his relaxed position and the fact that his broken ankle prevented him from jumping to his feet to better protect himself... Um, the attack, which wasn't really malicious in nature, the guy wasn't trying to... He was just a dick. Yeah, he was an idiot. Um, the attack left Houdini in a great deal of pain. The actual damage caused by Gordon Whitehead's attack remains a topic of debate to this day. Some say that the punches caused Houdini's appendix to rupture, hmm. while others claim that the sudden onset of appendicitis was unrelated, hmm. uh, but that Houdini mistook the pain from the appendicitis as being caused by the attack. So just completely unrelated, right after he got punched in the gut seven times, his appendix um, became inflamed, but he thought it was just pain from being punched in the gut seven times and didn't recognize it. But they were connected somehow. I know. I can't imagine that they weren't. Um, But again, that just remains, people debate it to this day. Like I was on all of these Mm -hmm. very specific Houdini-obsessed websites and everyone had a different theory on what caused what happened next. Mm -hmm. Um, Whatever the case may be, Houdini was sicker than shit when he arrived in Detroit on October 24th, 1926, to perform what would be his final show at the Garrick Theater. Before he took the stage, he was in severe pain and running a fever of 104 degrees. Holy crap. But 
the show must go on. (laughs) And so it did. There were reports that Houdini passed out from pain at one point during his performance. Following the show, he was taken to Grace Hospital in Detroit, where it was discovered that his appendix had ruptured and he was suffering from a complication called peritonitis, which can cause shock and acute respiratory distress. Mm -hmm. While in the hospital, the ever-skeptical Houdini made a pact with his wife. He promised her that if there was truly life after death, he would find a way to communicate the message, Rosabelle, believe, to her. Rosabelle was said to be their song and not something that other people knew. So if that message ever came through, she would know it really was him and not just someone trying to fool her. Um, On October 31st, 1926, that's right, Halloween night, Harry Houdini died in room 401 at Grace Hospital in Detroit. His last words were, I'm tired of fighting. Hmm. Houdini was buried in Queens, New York on November 4th, 1926, and over 2,000 people attended his funeral. Wow. Following her husband's death, Bess Houdini held a seance on Halloween every year for 10 years, hoping Harry's message, Rosabelle Believe, would come through. It never did, Hmm. but that hasn't stopped the seances, which continue to this day every year on Halloween. Um, people hold seances to try to contact Harry Houdini, especially in Detroit, where he died. That's nuts. And that's the weird story of Michigan's connection to Harry Houdini, who you can learn a ton about by visiting the American Museum of Magic in Marshall, Michigan, Michigan, Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just felt like I was saying Michigan too much, so I had to add a couple more in there. I think they knew it was in Michigan. <laughs> that was great. And that is just one of the super weird, awesome things you'll find in Marshall. Um, There is a bed and breakfast that has a reputation as one of the most haunted hotels in Michigan. Multiple haunted restaurants, one we ate at. Mm -hmm. Um, The Honolulu House, the only governor's mansion in the country that no one ever lived in. Yes, because Marshall thought they were going to win. Going to be the capital, and they wasn't. They did not win. Lansing won. Yep. We got it. Um, And they have the house with a clock in the walls. You know, the Jack Black movie that yeah. came out last year? Yeah, I haven't seen it, but I've seen the I previews. I have not seen it either. You've got little kids. You have no excuse. Is Rent that, that a, movie. Is that a little kid movie? Yeah. Oh. Okay. It's Halloween season. You should totally watch it with them. It's Halloween ish. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Was a kid movie. My parents went and saw it. <laughs> <laughs> it's you know it's Harry Potter ish. You know, okay. but oh, yeah, it'll go. That'll go big. Yeah. Um, but that movie was actually based on a book that was written by a man from Marshall. And the house with a clock in its walls is a real house in Marshall. Yeah, Isn't that cool. It is so cool. There's more. That's just the tip of the iceberg, really. And to help you guide your way through all of it is the Marshall Carriage Company and Ghost Tours. Yay! We had a chance to meet with one of the owners while we were there, and he's a pretty cool dude. Yeah, he's a really nice guy. Yeah. Um, we cannot wait to go on one of those tours. I, mean, I am, like, excited. Like, this is the t- I know you're busy with all your tours, so it's hard to... But they do Christmas months, too. Well, and they have a different schedule. You know, the Dementia yes. Mitten Tours are just on weekends. They do one, I think, didn't he say in October, every weeknight they do one? Yes. So we're just going to have to find a weeknight and go mm-hmm. down there and do one. I agree. 
And it's like in a legit carriage. Yes. Which is pretty cool. I want a carriage But I want to get like, um, I want to do one of the Christmas light ones. And then I want to get one of those like hand warmers. That oh looks my God. Like and a, a bonnet. Fur. Uh-huh. A bonnet. A cloak. And a cape. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so they do Christmas light tours during December and they do other theme tours throughout the year. So um they're all year. Yeah. Uh we'll add the link to their Facebook page on our website. And you if know, you're not linky, it's just Marshall Carriage Company and Ghost Tours. If you look that up, you'll find them. Is that what it is? Marshall Carriage Company and Ghost Tours. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah, you'll find them. You can just Google it. So now we don't want to give away all of their secrets. So no, I hate that. I know. I, I get messages all the time from people that book tours or that want to book tours. And they're like, where exactly are we going? I'm like, like I'm, I'm not, not telling, telling you that. It's a surprise. Town. Haunted places. Spooky shit. Right. I can't <laughs> tell you. Um, but with their permission, I'm going to share the following story with you, which is one that they actually don't cover on the tours. Um, Bailey at the carriage company directed me to this one, which I'd never heard. No, so me thank either. you, Bailey. Thanks, Bailey. For this. And for letting us pet your horses. Oh, my God. They're the biggest horses in that pig. Making the pig. Biggest pig ever. i like still in shock when I look at those pictures. I'm like... <laughs> He I was, don't think the pictures we took even really do it justice. No, he like, was over 900 pounds. For reference, um, we'll post some pictures, but um, we've got a picture of Macon and Bailey is standing next to him. Bailey is, what did he say, 6'2"? 6'1 mm-hmm. or 6'2"? So he's a tall guy mm-hmm. and he looks like a little child next to this pig. The pig was scary. <laughs> a little scary. I wouldn't want him to sit on me. <laughs> no. 56-year-old Nola Payer owned and operated the Tasty Cafe located at 209 East Michigan Avenue in Marshall, Michigan. Michigan? Michigan. Okay. Just make, just clarifying that. Michigan, Michigan, Michigan. Say it <laughs> thrice. <laughs> Is that going to be our new theme song? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> she ran the Tasty Cafe with her husband, Paul Payer. And on August 18th, 1967... Nola was sitting in a booth at the restaurant opening the Daily Mail when there was an explosion. The restaurant exploded and Nola died instantly. I know. Yikes. I mean, I don't like getting the mail either, but that is... That's quite a... A shock. Yeah. Her husband, Paul, and two customers were also involved in the explosion, but escaped with only minor injuries. At first, authorities believed that the explosion was caused by a gas leak, but with further investigation would realize that the mail Nola was opening was in fact a bomb. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. So this shit was happening in the 60s too. Yeah. Um, this was, however, not the first attempt on Nola's life. Three months prior to her death, Nola received some pills in the mail that were labeled as mild tranquilizers and a note attached saying, take these for anxiety. What? Can you, like, I know, can we sidebar here? Can you even imagine? No, and maybe times were different and people were like, yeah, let's try it. And like, that was before. I mean, it was the 60s. mm -hmm, They were taking everything, right? Right, right, right. But 
I can't imagine getting like I can't imagine somebody sending some pills in the mail being like they'll probably take a stranger like it wasn't, you know, her mom (laughs) that was like, honey, take some of mommy's special juice. It was a stranger. stranger Weird. Like it wasn't like put on the package who it was from. No, thank you. But good thing, though, because Nola thought it was weird. Yeah. Good job, Nola. (laughs) Right. And she showed a friend the pills. Her friend placed one of the pills on her tongue mm -hmm, and started to feel a burning sensation. Oh, my God. I mean, bravery at its finest. You know what that makes me think of? Um, You know the movie Baby Mama? Have you seen that? With Tina Fey? Yes. Where she's at her sister's house and her sister grabs her kid and goes, what's on your hand? Is that chocolate or poop? And then she licks it. Yes. And she's like, oh, it's chocolate. And Tina Fey's like, what if it's been poop? Right. That's what this reminds me of, only way, way more dangerous. Way more dangerous. That's so funny. I always say that. Is it chocolate or poop? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, it was later discovered that these pills were laced with cyanide. Of course they were. Right. Jeez. I mean, I know people, though, that are like that, that are like, I'll do it. I'll I'll try some pills. Give it to me. Yeah. Like, I just, I'm not that person. No. As you shouldn't be. too much of a scaredy cat to be Yeah, I don't even think that's being a scaredy cat. I just think that's like... Having a brain, because that's right. weird. Mm-mm. I'll take your random male pills. Thank you. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, so anyway, everyone in Noah's life became a suspect. Um, whoever wanted her dead got their way, but why and who? Noah's brother had died months prior to her death. And she inherited $500,000 from his estate. That's a lot of money. Is Especially fi- in the 60s. I was going to say, was it 500000 in 60s money? Yeah. Because that'd be like $3 million. Maybe not that much, but it would be like a million. Be, at least around that right yeah. now, right? Um, you could buy a least. house for 25 cents. I know. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> and take 30 years to pay it off. <laughs> so, of course, her husband is going to be the first suspect. Because yeah. it seems as though the husband always did it. The husband always did it. But not this time. At least not Nola's husband. Police quickly ruled him out as a suspect and further investigated. People started to come forward, patrons of the restaurant who had seen and heard things. One stated that she heard Nola on the phone one day while they were while she was there dining, and Nola had told the other person on the other end of the phone to stop threatening her. She said, quote unquote, it's not funny anymore. And if you continue to threaten me, I'll report you to the police. Nola's husband even stated that Nola made a comment one day about being upset and that she'd been receiving disturbing phone calls. I feel like as a husband, I'd be like, or like even as a wife, I'd be like, what do you mean disturbing phone calls? Yeah, what's going on? Let's go into detail here. Who the fuck's messing with you? I don't know. Times are different. But then a key witness came forward and said that she had seen a man and Nola behind the counter of the restaurant having a heated discussion one day. She said that Nola appeared very shaken and in distress while talking to him and after he had left. While putting all of these pieces together and the literal pieces of the building and the package that contained the bomb, police made the connection of the pill bottle and the bomb package. Yeah, think. Yeah, right. <laughs> Those are really like big ways to kill somebody, right, though. Like you're not fucking around. You want them gone. Um, 
they have they appeared to have been sent by the same person. So investigators began to go through hundreds of DMV records looking for handwriting that matched the package and the pill bottle. Good thought. Can you believe that? Like that, who would have thought of that? I mean, they had to be creative back then. They didn't have DNA. They couldn't right. just be like, boop, swab your cheek, got them. And they didn't have Facebook right? And Instagram. People didn't live stream their crimes oh like they God. do now. People, I mean, if you're going to be a criminal, be smart, right? No, that's why they're criminals, because right. they're not smart. Good point. Well, they finally found a match, and it just so happened to match the same person who'd been seen talking to Nola that day behind the restaurant counter Ooh. when she appeared distraught. Who was it? It was 46-year-old Enoch Chisholm. Okay. Chisholm was married, a father of two, and worked in Jackson as a factory worker. Hmm. Some of his acquaintances would say he was kind and gentle. But no, he actually had a CD past. He had previously set his brother's house on fire for <gasps> renting it out to black people. What mm-hmm. an asshole. Yeah, he was a dick. Um, he was abusive to his wife and their children and threatened to kill his in-laws constantly. Oh, my God. Yeah, but he was kind and gentle, according right. to his friends. Wow. Seriously. In fact... His mother-in-law worked at the restaurant as a waitress at the time of the bombing. <gasps> huh. So was the bomb meant for her? Maybe. No, no because the pills went right. to Nola. It was not no. meant for her. Chisholm had approached Nola and her husband months prior about purchasing the restaurant. When Nola refused, it enraged Chisholm. He began to threaten Nola and plotting her death. All because a woman told him no. Could he not open his own tasty bakery? <laughs> I, I guess not. Baked goods are tasty. Like maybe he needed to call it the delicious bakery or the yummy bakery. No, it had to be the tasty cafe. Oh, come on. Um, and Nak Chisholm was tried and sentenced to prison. He served nine years before he was released on appeal. Nine years? Uh-huh. He argued that his rights were compromised when he wasn't granted a speedy trial. That took 886 days. Okay, that's not a very speedy trial. I mean, that's a long trial, but <laughs> fact is you're guilty. It doesn't yeah, matter you, how long it you takes. You murdered somebody, so I don't mm-hmm. think that's a reason. I feel like that should be like null and void. Yeah. If you're guilty, then who the fuck cares? Right. Um, the federal court agreed and released him from prison on April 30th, 1976. Lame. But as luck would have it, he died three years later in 1979 from cancer. Wow. Nola's husband later moved to California, and where the Tasty Cafe used to serve coffee and sandwiches is now a roof consulting company. A haunted roof consulting company, I betcha. Maybe. Could be. So I have sources okay. for this story. Um, I know you say yours at the beginning of your story, and I don't know why I say mine at the end. You know, we're still getting used to doing those, right. so it's wherever we wherever feel comfortable we, right. fitting them in. We'll get them in there. Calm probably down, everybody. I put, probably because I put mine at the end of my story. So that's <laughs> so why that's you read why. them at the end? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Calm down, so, people. We'll get to them. <laughs> so I found information, of course, from Bailey, the carriage company. Of course. Um Battle Creek Inquirer on September 21st, 1967, and June 10th, 2012. Oh. Was it like a remember when this fucked up shit happened type of thing? No. They were advertising a book. Oh, the book. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. Which is another source, which is called The Secret Witness by Blaine Pardo. Okay. 
and then the Detroit Free Press, October 12th, 1967. All right. So, yeah. NOLA. So that's just, I mean, those were some big stories, and that's just such a small bit of the history of Marshall. Yeah. Definitely, definitely recommend taking a trip now. I will say this. Things are tricky. You know, everything's got kind of tricky hours. You can't just drive to Marshall, pop into all of these places. They're not always open. Um, You can't just show up at the tour company and hop on a carriage, hop on a horse and just like, let's go. Right. But he did say people just knock on his door. Yeah. We don't encourage that. So do your research, plan it out. But I definitely recommend taking a trip. And I'm going to do a little plug for where we had lunch. Oh, yeah. We went to Schuler's. Not the bookstore. Nope, not the bookstore. It's like, it looked like this little German restaurant. Yeah, it looked like it belonged in Frankenmuth. Yeah, but it, like inside, it was an old bowling alley, right? Yes. Among and other things. Their food was so freaking good. It was really good. I mean, we just had like soup and sandwich, but it was, they had the beer cheese too. The beer cheese was amazing. I wish I would have took some. It was so good. We My mouth is watering. Home. We took big cookies home. Gigantic From their bakery. From their Mm -hmm. tasty bakery. (laughs) All right. Let's do file dump. All right. Today, we're going to talk about our favorite Halloween costumes. I have a couple. Okay. Let's hear them. So I don't remember. I don't really remember any of my costumes from when I was a kid. I know my mom made them all. you also don't remember what we talked about yesterday. I know. I'm telling you. You the worst vitamins. <laughs> I have quit drinking Diet Coke, so maybe this will help. Maybe. Hopefully. So anyway, as an adult, um, I was the Four Seasons. <laughs> All four of them? Not like I was a, it was a group costume. I was winter and <laughs> it was incredible. My hair looked frozen. I looked frozen. That's amazing. Do like, you have pictures? I think I do somewhere. We'll have to try to find them and put them on yeah, the website. Yeah, I mean, Elsa, she ain't got nothing on my costume. Let it was it fun. go, Elsa. It was fun. That's amazing. That was my favorite one. I think my favorite one, um, because growing up, I was always cutesy things. And as we all know, I've got a dark, dark soul. Um, so yeah, in the- I wouldn't associate you with cutesy. Oh, girl. So cutesy. Um, I was... Um, eighth grade, I found a dress at a thrift shop, you know, Goodwill, something like that. Mm-hmm. This taffeta pink prom dress. Um, so I was a bloody prom queen. Of course you were bloody. Oh my God. It was amazing. <laughs> it so was funny. so good. I don't think I had been trick-or-treating Sorry. since like fourth or fifth grade because I was way too cool for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I went. But I grade. was so cool. I was so excited about my costume. I thought I was so cool that uh, my friends and I actually did go trick-or-treating that year. Eighth grade. Probably mm-hmm. half the houses that we went to told us we were too old for candy. Such bullshit. Fuck those people. If you, I don't care what age you are. If you yep. come to my door on Halloween in a costume, you're getting candy. Mm-hmm. Have fun. Do right. you. Don't do that, I don't do care that, if people. you're 32. Don't be that asshole. I agree. I agree. I dressed up in eighth grade. I dressed up as a boy. I went <laughs> trick-or-treating. And I remember houses saying, you, because it was me and another girl dressed up as boys. Mm-hmm. And they were like, you boys are a little old. <laughs> and we were like, we did good. And they were like, and you're not even wearing a costume. Right. And we were like, this is really good. But, yeah. 
Those people suck. All right. And now it is Danny's very favorite. My favorite. It's our time of the month. The time of the month. It's time for us to thank all of the fans who have left us reviews on Facebook or Apple Podcasts in the past month. From Apple Podcasts, we have Audie Roo, Drawsome72, <laughs> Mandy080580. I bet that's Mandy's birthday. Ooh, her birthday is three days before mine. And SSGGM Michigan. What do you think that stands for? I think it's supposed to be SSDGM, but it says SSGGM. Nope. I think it's stay sexy, go get murdered. <laughs> that's not a good <laughs> piece of advice at it's all. It's not, but I'm thinking maybe that's what it stands for. And from Facebook, we have Gretchen Michael Allen, Jared Smelker, Amanda Ferguson, Yvonne Zhang, Shelby Morley, Tim Colas, Michelle Kemp Brandle, and Tammy Root Mullins. Thanks, thank guys. you guys. Thank yeah. you, thank you, thank you. If you want to hear your name on the podcast, all you got to do is go to our Facebook page or Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Reviews and ratings are so important. So um, important. For our visibility. Mm-hmm. And also they just make us feel really good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for making us a part of your day. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon at So Dead Podcast. You can also find us online at SoDeadPodcast.com and email us your feedback and story ideas to SoDeadPodcast at gmail.com. And just a reminder, guys, we are now officially on our bi-weekly schedule, which means the episodes will come out every other Tuesday for the rest of the year. So we'll see you guys in a couple weeks. So get out there and shine. You magnificent what the fucks.